today on Ag News Daily. As a young pig is weaned from the, the, the mother sow, it's a fairly stressful time in, in the piglet's life. Happy Friday, ladies and gentlemen, here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. My name is Delaney Howell, joined by my co-host Mike Pearson. And Mike, it's also a Friday because we launched our first Global Ag Network newsletter today. We sure did. Listeners, if you haven't signed up, log on to the Global Ag Network website at globalagnetwork.com. In fact, it's very simple to remember. And it's at the bottom of the page, right, Delaney, is the sign-up box for the newsletter. Or there is a little, whatever you want to call it, bug on your left-hand side of the website now that just says sign up for the newsletter, and it'll take you right to the sign-up box. Fantastic, folks. Check that out. We've got all sorts of great content. We've got updates from all of our podcast providers. We've got an update from uh, from me, actually, on behalf of Zaner Financial Services, looking at what's happening in the markets over the past week. And uh, yeah, definitely. A lot of interesting things. It's something you're going to want to subscribe to and keep up to date with. Absolutely, Mike. But another thing they need to keep up to date with is what's going on in the news. And thankfully, we've got them covered there. We do, we do. And so what do you want to kick it off with right off the bat, Delaney? What are some of the big headlines you're keeping an eye on? There are a lot of big headlines today, Mike, actually for this Friday episode. There are? What's the biggest one in your mind? Mm, I don't know that it's the biggest one. Well, yeah, I think it might be one of the biggest ones. That is that Brexit has reached a deal with the EU. Well, EU and UK have reached a deal on Brexit. We've seen, well, right, possibly. We've seen 27 of the EU's leaders endorse the deal. And now we've seen them unanimously back a new Brexit deal with Britain as of Thursday. But Prime Minister Johnson is apparently not happy with that agreement and facing a battle. So he basically, I think the way I understand it is he wants to secure a spot in UK's parliament for the UK, for Britain. Are you understanding that in the same way? No, that doesn't make any sense. I think he... I think he wants a spot at the table is how I understand it. In the EU parliament? Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. I think you're, I think you're right. Wants a seat at the table and they're they're kind of balking at that. Mm -hmm. And they are going to be voting. The EU will be voting on this deal tomorrow on Saturday. So while the markets are closed and uh, in order for this to pass, it has to be unanimous. It has to be an unanimous yes vote in the EU parliament, which might be quite a tough sell. Right. But if it did, if it did pass, then we could see the currency markets definitely trade on this news coming into the markets on Sunday night into Monday, and it appears that the pound, the British pound, has already been trending higher about this alleged deal that may get done tomorrow. Right. And so we shall see what we shall see when this vote happens officially. Yes. As always, just kicking it down further down the line. Yeah, but we'll know something concrete come the podcast on Monday. Yes, we will. Which will be good. Yes, it will. Or not. Maybe it'll be terrible. Oh, well, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. How, we'll see what happens. Yes. Um, excuse me. We also had news. Export sales were out today as we look at uh, numbers from the USDA. 
And the big story was in the pork market. We had phenomenal export sales of U.S. pork. China and Mexico, two of the biggest buyers, um, which was good news. We also had incredible shipments of U.S. pork, a lot of it headed to both China and Mexico once again. This was really welcome news for the trade early on. That was announced at 7.30 this morning. Of course, the trade then, hog trade opened up at 8.30, and uh, we saw the market gap higher at the get-go. And then it started to sell right off. And as we were sitting in the office watching the sell-off happen, we're like, what in the world is happening? Well, it turns out that the USDA said pork export sales data issued today included a, quote, significant quantity of sales that may have occurred in previous weeks. Um, Basically, it sounds like there was some double reporting going on, and the numbers this morning might not have been as great as they looked at first glance. So the hog market took that in stride, sort of, that stride was down the hill, and uh, continued to sell off through most of the day until about the last 30 minutes of trade when there was uh, a bit of a rebound. But no, it was, it was a very confusing day in the hog market based on these uh, export sales data. Huh. What a surprise. The USDA messed some stuff up. Right? Well, actually, since we're talking about the USDA and stuff they maybe have messed up in the past, there were a lot of questions how the USDA was going to factor in some of the wet the wet weather and also the snowy weather that we've seen here over the past week or so. And it looks like the November wise deer report will include a resurvey of harvested corn and soybean acres in both Minnesota and North Dakota because of that winter storm that swept through the region last week. So right. Scott Irwin, our friend Scott Irwin that we had on the podcast, I believe, last week, said he believes this is going to drop total production by a minimum of 250 million bushels of corn. Soybeans, he said, is harder to get a handle on, but he thinks there will be some significant significant losses, especially in North Dakota. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. I don't have anything to add to that, Delaney. I was looking at the same story you were, and I think it'll be good news. We'll have a, a little bit more certainty maybe as certain as we can be with USDA numbers come that November WASDE, which I believe is on the 8th of November. It's a little early in November for some reason. It is November 8th. Okay. So it's the first Friday of the month, which is a little bizarre. Usually it's that, uh, that second Thursday. Hmm. wonder why they're doing it that Uh, day. I don't know if it's Thanksgiving, you know, coming up in the month of November. I don't know. I have no idea, but it it is early. Thanksgiving's not till the end. Okay. Right. All I know is it's on November 8th. Okay. Uh, speaking of things that are under pressure, the USMCA full court press is on by both Mexico and Canada to get the U.S. to ratify this darn thing and get it done. In fact, Mexican Finance Minister Arturo Herrera said earlier today that the current global uncertainty over trade is another reason that we need to ratify this agreement to cement some concrete things in writing between the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. He was uh, speaking not at the IMF uh, meeting today, but but at a series of meetings that happened around the IMF meeting in Washington, D.C., and he said one of the major topics of the Group of 20 meeting last Thursday was concern about trade tensions worldwide. And the U.S. and China, of course, the world's two top economies, have been in this trade war for so long. We've been on and off trade wars with Mexico and Canada 
And he said, this is something that we just need to get done because this will give us 16 years of stability for at least the Western Hemisphere. And I think he's right. Maybe these comments will uh, – and they were made in D.C. You know, maybe they'll resonate with lawmakers and help uh, – possibly push this thing across the finish line but yeah i don't know we'll see well another thing that might help push it across the finish line is mexican trade ambassadors were here in the united states specifically meeting with house speaker nancy pelosi and house ways and means chairman richard neal they made some promises that mexico is indeed following through on its usmca promises to improve labor conditions and handed them another hand-delivered letter from the Mexican president asking that they figure this out, sort it out, whatever, and get it pushed through. All right. Well, like I say, it's a full court pass. Full court press. They're all trying to get this thing done. It seems like the sticks in the mud still continue to be the Democrats in Congress here in the U.S. Yes, it does. Well, we had an announcement from President Donald Trump earlier today. He said the trade deal between the U.S. and China, I think he's referring to just phase one, so I don't want anybody to get too excited, but he said that we're going to have this thing wrapped up and we'll sign it in Chile at the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation meetings on November 16th and 17th. So less than a month away, he thinks we're going to have this phase one deal inked, hopefully including some concrete purchases from China to commit to their 40 to $50 billion worth of ag purchases, and then from the Chinese perspective, uh, making sure that those October 15th tariff cuts that were delayed don't get implemented. So that's what's on the agenda there, looking ahead. Well, I have another piece of news to follow up with that then, Mike, and that's a little bit of, I guess, clarity, if you want to call it that, given to us by National Economic Council Director Larry Kudlow in reference to those pledged 40 to 50 billion dollars worth of ag commodities he said that it's something that we agreed upon and he thinks it's a real number but it's not going to be just in ag purchases although that's going to be a huge boost to the farm sector he said there is also going to be market access openings with respect to agriculture products and agriculture standards that the chinese seem to be loosening up on that's a huge piece of it he did say that specific products include more U.S. So soybeans, sorghum, wheat, and other commodities. Okay. But I guess now okay. they're trying to say that that 40 to $50 billion is not specifically going to be ag only, is what that sounds like to me. I think you're right. And you know, that's something that I think you mentioned it yesterday, Delaney. That makes sense, given that we've never seen China make those scale of purchases before. It seemed kind of tough to believe that they were going to jump right in and make them coming, you know, out of a trade war. Right. They're going to ramp up, uh, you know, almost double their previous uh, ag purchases. So this this seems to make a lot of sense to me. I think so, too. But uh, we shall see what we shall see, I suppose. That we shall. Well, I tell you, Delaney, I am all out of news. Uh, do you have any other stories we need to cover? I do not have any other news, but I want to go ahead and toss it over to our farmer friend, Ray Bohax, who does the Idle Chatter podcast on Global Ag Network for today's Hot Rod Farm Internet. Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. 
I'm Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter podcast found on the Global Ag Network. Have you ever had a gasoline-powered engine cold start fine, fast idle, but a few minutes later the RPM drops, the engine is chugging and blowing black smoke from the tailpipe and eventually stalls? By the time you get the chance to restart it, the problem has miraculously healed itself and all is fine. Then you have experienced what is called carburetor icing. A carburetor has a venturi. It is wide and then tapers and eventually widens back to its original dimension. The purpose of the venturi is to speed up the airflow and create a low pressure region. The low pressure working in conjunction with the atmospheric pressure on the fuel in the float bowl allows a carburetor to feed fuel to the engine. A side effect of the air going through the venturi is that the temperature drops substantially. The phenomena can be called either carburetor intake system icing. The restriction of the throttle plate causes a cooling effect, and if the air is moisture-laden, then it can freeze. The conditions that are required for carburetor icing are cool, moist air, where the temperature is warm as 55 degrees Fahrenheit and as low as 13 degrees Fahrenheit. The objection of the engine to idle is due to the ice forming on the throttle plate and choking off the air. Once the ice buildup gets large enough, the opening of the throttle plate created by the idle speed screw is negated and the engine stalls. In very short order, the ice melts from the ambient heat and the engine starts and runs fine as if nothing happened. This event is known in the industry as idle icing. Though carburetor icing at idle and low speeds is the most prominent, it can occur also at higher speeds, long after the engine has been running. This is an especially challenging problem to diagnose and is known as cruise icing. All right. Well, a huge thanks to Ray, folks. Check out the Hot Rod Farmer podcast. You can listen to it on the Global Ag Network. Just head to globalagnetwork.com, and you will find Ray and all of his great tips for keeping your machinery running in tip-top shape. Now, speaking of running in tip-top shape, we did not have that happening in the corn market today. We had lower than analyst anticipations for corn exports, and that put some pressure on the trade throughout the day. December corn market was down three and three quarters at 391 even. The March contract also dropped three and three quarters to close at 402 and three quarters. In soybeans, November contract up two and a half cents on stronger than anticipated export sales, closed the day at 934 even. The January contract up two and a quarter, finished at 947 and a half. In Chicago wheat, this market continues to lead the grains higher. December contract was up six and th- uh, three quarters at 532 and a quarter. The March contract also up six and three quarters, finished at 537 even. Jumping into the world of livestock, weakness uh, throughout the complex today. In live cattle, the uh, December contract dropped 75 cents at 113.6250. February was down 47.50 to finish at 119.07 and a half. In feeder cattle, the November contract was down $1.4750 at 142.85. January dropped $1.40, wrapped up the week at 139.45. And in lean hogs, the December contract closed down 20 cents. Well off the lows of the day, finished at 67.95 even. The February contract down at 17.5 cents to finish at 77.47.50. And looking at the dairy market, mixed trade today as we look at more of the deferred months. The October contract was up 4 cents at 18.64. November up 2 cents, closed the day at 18.58. Without further ado, let's kick it to our conversation to wrap up this week here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. 
Well, after having a conversation with Dr. Phil Tong a couple of weeks ago, we're going to follow up on that conversation to talk a little bit more about the science behind that whey permeate study with Dr. Kevin Halpin, who is the Vice President of Sales and Marketing for the International Ingredient Corporation. Kevin, that is a little bit of a mouthful, but before we get started talking about that study, tell us about the role that you play within the feed ingredient industry. Sure, I'm happy to do that. Thank you, Delaney, for having me on. Uh, so my role at International Ingredient Corporation is, as you said, is in charge of sales. Uh, we have uh, both uh, international sales and domestic sales. We're about 50-50 as a, as a company, um, and our sales are largely in the uh, U- U.S. for 50%, and also in China and, I'm sorry, in Asia and Latin America are the two regions of the world that we focus on outside of the U.S., um, we are in um, the feed ingredient business, and dairy powders are a large part of that. Whey permeate being being our primary one. We call it Dairy Lac 80 in our in our house, and we sell that all over the world. Um, and uh, we uh, about 70% of our overall business is in the baby pig area, so that's our bread and butter. Absolutely, and that just segues really nicely into the bread and butter of what I wanted to talk about today, which is the study that ADPI has put together looking at whey permeate as a way to grow piglet herds and hog herds back in China a lot quicker. Can you explain to us the science behind that research study? Sure. As as a young pig is weaned from the, the, the mother sow, that's a fairly stressful time in, in the piglet's life. Uh, you can imagine uh, a young pig, uh, about three weeks of age, has been used to drinking sow's milk, mother's milk, uh, and at, at about that period of time, at about 21 days of age, they are weaned off of the sow and, and changed to a, a dry diet. And you can imagine the how stressful that can be going from a liquid sow's milk to a, to a dry diet. At that same time, uh, when they're being removed from the sow, they're also being housed with other piglets. Other, so there's a social uh, stress period as well. Um, the diet change to a, you know, a, a dry diet and vegetable-based diet. It's mainly the two key ingredients being corn and soybean are, are vegetable-based. So there's an impact on digestion that, that occurs there. Um, at that same time, they're... Uh, being put into a, in an environment with other piglets and so forth, and there's the exposure to, to pathogens also increase, so you have uh, greater immune challenges. So that's just that period of time is just a, a stressful time in, in a young pig's um, life. Dr. Halpin, when you look at the hog industry here in the United States, do a lot of producers use whey permeate in those finishing settings or in the piglet settings? Yes, whey, um, about probably the use of dried whey as an ingredient uh, probably began more than 50 or 60 years ago. I know there's studies back in the 1950s that talk about feeding dried whey. And again, that period of time when you're removing um, the piglet from sow's milk, which is just like just what you would think, it's a, a liquid milk diet that is very high in lactose. Lactose is really high in milk, along with milk proteins and milk fat. It's a very digestible 
uh, source of nutrients for the young baby piglet. As you're moving from that diet to a to a dry diet, the inclusion of milk ingredients in those early dry diets is very helpful. Uh, the young baby pig has an enzyme system that has been geared up to use lactose, which is milk sugar. It's been uh, geared up to use milk protein and milk fat. So providing those same kinds of milk-based ingredients in a dry diet is helpful in that transition process. And when you look then at the Chinese hog herd floating back and forth here between the U.S. and China, but I sure, think it helps sure, our sure. listeners you know, create some sort of comparison. When you look at sure. the Chinese hog herd, some of the comments made around these were way permeate studies was that it would increase their ability to repopulate the hog herd. Is it just because it provides a different source of of protein or of a way to get feed or or what's the the mindset I guess behind that claim? Sure. So whey permeate is a is first of all very high in lactose. It's an eighty percent lactose product. So the uh, compared to to dried whey, its predecessor, um, it's higher in lactose, but a little bit lower in in milk protein. Some of the milk proteins have been pulled out uh, to produce whey protein concentrate, which has value in human products and so forth. So the permeate that results is is higher in lactose, but a little bit lower in protein. So it is a, a, a economical source of lactose, which is the reason the permeate is fed to the young pig. Um, it has essentially, because of the economics, has become the single, I, sh- I shouldn't say the single, but the, the primary source of lactose for the baby pig. There's more whey permeate fed to piglets these days than, than either dried whey or crystalline lactose or other forms of lactose. So permeate has become the most economic and the, and the predominant source of lactose for, for piglets. And when you look at a timeline for repopulation, obviously China's hog herd has really been impacted by African swine fever. Have there been any right. studies or research to show how fast compared to maybe other products whey permeate allows them to repopulate their hog herd? So whey permeate would have value in, in, any, in any swine herd, whether it's in China or the U.S., um, the feeding is, is, is important. Uh, how the mechanism um, might work like this, uh, number one, permeate is, is going to increase feed intake. The lactose in, in the baby pig will increase the uh, early feed intake in, the, in those piglets, which then in, improves uh, the body weight of those piglets. Um, having the piglets all consuming more feed uh, probably will increase pig uniformity. So you don't have as much variation within a herd from the smallest to the, to the heaviest pig. There'll, um, there'll be more uniformity if they're fed well. You would have better um, gut health, which uh, will improve uh, survivability, overall survivability of the piglets. And then uh, there's a, quite a few studies that show that if you get the piglet off to a really good start, if you feed it well and it's doing well and it's it's a healthy pig, it'll it'll be a better pig all the way through the system, and will end up finishing at get to a slaughter weight or a um, you know a, a marketing weight quicker, fewer days to market, 
which means just better overall economics and better overall uh, production in, in the unit. So it, um, I would say the answer, uh, permeate or lactose, is part of just a good nutritional program that will improve the overall profitability of, of the pig unit and, um, you know, more pigs to market quicker. Absolutely. That makes total sense. I guess really the final question I have for you, spinning back to focusing here on the U.S., obviously African swine fever is a huge threat that could impact our hog herd very drastically as well. In your role there with the International Ingredient Corporation, and I saw on Twitter you also do some stuff with the American Feed Institute Association, what precautions should hog producers be taking? Because we've read some studies that show that especially in certain types of feed that use hog product or blood meal, the virus can stay active for up to 30 days, I think I read. So which precautions or what should we be thinking of in lieu of that? Sure, that's a, that's a great question. The, there is no cure or vaccine for African swine fever. So the, I guess the, the key to um, disease management is basically biosecurity, uh, controlling um, flow of, of watching what what ingredients come into a feed mill and from where the transportation of the feed trucks themselves one from one barn to another or the transportation of the of the hogs to slaughter and processing facilities those are all places where uh, you know having proper biosecurity measure uh, processes in place or uh, would be very very key um, in terms of the the feed ingredients themselves. Um, yes, th- there is some here in the U.S. I know there's some precaution about ingredients coming from China and and being able to hold them long enough in a in a feed mill. and And the American Feed Industry Association has some really good guidelines on its website about how to how long to hold a uh, a feed ingredient before use and so forth. So there are, there are measurements um, to control to help control the disease process or the, the prevention of disease, even even in the feed ingredients through storage measurements and things like that. Gotcha. All right. Well, that makes, that makes sense. Thank you so much, Dr. Kevin Halpin, for sharing with us about this information. I know we've got a lot of pork producers that listen sure. to the podcast, and I'm sure they value your information. Sure. Can I add one other thing? That, uh, Absolutely. One, one thing that we're, we're trying to do, uh, in fact, we have uh, the U.S. Dairy Export Council We'll have two seminars at the end of October, and, and um, I know two of us, myself and one other gentleman from our company, are, are going over, and, and a number of the uh, dairy companies from the U.S. are going over as well to participate in the seminars. We have some really good speakers to talk about uh, the, the benefits of feeding, feeding lactose and the benefits of feeding good nutritional programs in general and how that might help um, in in the prevention of diseases and the, uh, help control or help uh, manage, help, um, you know, piglets get to market sooner. Um, as you mentioned, there's probably about half of the uh, pigs in China have, have been lost due to African swine fever. So those that remain are valuable. So getting them to the marketplace quicker is, is, uh, is worth money. And uh, that's the reason for the seminars is um, – one thing that we've 
uh, notice from statistics and from um, how we know we feed pigs here in the U.S., we feed close to one kg of lactose in a in a pig's lifetime, and in China, typically it's about half of that. So we we believe that it's important to make sure not only lactose but all nutrients are fed at a high enough level to maximize performance and uh, minimize the, um, um, the 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 economic uh, losses due to African swine fever. If we have half the Pigs still in China, we should feed those well and get them to market as soon as we could, can because they're, they're valuable. Absolutely, that they are. And hopefully those seminars really help the Chinese take a play out of the U.S.'s playbook on biosecurity. Dr. Kevin Halpin, thank you so much for joining today. Delaney, it's been my pleasure, and thank you. I look forward to any additional questions you may have. Well, again, a great conversation there with Dr. Halpin about African swine fever. It, of course, I think as a reminder, folks, it is still Porktober month here in October. So get out this weekend. Hopefully you get in the fields, maybe have a little pork in the combine or tractor to support our hog producing friends. Absolutely. You can cook bacon on those exhaust manifolds, ladies and gentlemen, and that is the best tasting <laughs> bacon you will ever have. I think you sound like you know from experience, Mike. Of course I do. And of course, I don't have any fancy ovens or anything in my trackers or didn't have any of that in my trackers. You just you got to make do. You know, you, you throw a couple, you know, strips up on the engine block and you, you get that little greasy, oily flavor on top of the, the bacon. And oh, my goodness, it's the best barbecue you'll ever have. All right. Reported right here on the Agnes Daily Podcast, folks. Absolutely. And I tell you what, listeners, if you want to stay tuned to other really hot culinary tips. You can listen to our past episodes by going to agnewsdaily.com. You can find all of our previous episodes there that will take you to our new home at the Global Ag Network. You can also connect with, as mentioned earlier, the Hot Rod Farmer podcast, Girls Talk, Ag, Working Cows, the Dry, Dry Line Farmer podcast, so many great agriculturally focused podcasts. Get there, check it out, fill your ear holes with knowledge this harvest season. And uh, with that, Delaney, should we let the listeners go? Let's let him go.